If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah. We'll be there in a moment. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to continue our <clears throat> we're going to continue our series in the through the book of Nehemiah. We've been we've been learning um, along with Nehemiah, along with the people of Israel, who were um, at the time that Nehemiah was bringing or he was leading uh, the people in Jerusalem after they had returned from their exile, um, we've seen that God is, uh, what he's doing in Nehemiah and in, God, in his people at the time is restoring them. He's, he's restoring and helping them to pursue true purpose um, that God had in store for them. And so we're, gonna, we're going to look at that uh, passage and continue our series today in chapter 9. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried this from the cross. With a loud voice, he cried out, to God, expressing the separation that he was experiencing from God, from his Father, while bearing the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul later wrote, He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, hanging there on the cross, probably... <laughs> if, if he was like us, and the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was like us in every way, but without sin, he may have wondered about uh, the situation he found himself in. He had lived a perfect, sinless life. He had been obedient to God. He had done everything that God had asked him to do. He had loved. He had shared. He had served. Yet, there he was, experiencing ultimate suffering, experiencing for the first time in his existence a sense of separation from God as he carried our sins. Have you ever felt even remotely like Jesus felt? Why are you so far from me, God? Or maybe better yet, why am I so far from God myself? Hmm. Sometimes it does take those circumstances in our lives, those difficult situations, to cause us to wonder about our nearness, our closeness to God. We may go through in, intense spiritual experiences. We may go through times and periods where our closeness to God is followed up by darkness, quiet, where we're wondering, God, are you still there? Do you still love me? We may, we may find that after committing our way to Him, after obeying Him, walking in obedience, doing what God asks us to do, following His call on our life, that all of a sudden everything starts to fall apart. And we go through periods of difficulty. We go through struggles. 
We, we experience the brokenness of this life. And oftentimes, we fail personally. We experience the movement of God and then we turn aside from that and we fall right back into our old ways, our old patterns. The Bible calls it sin. Hmm. This passage today, in Nehemiah chapter 9, helps us to understand that when we experience those times of brokenness, that, that when, we, uh, when those situations expose our separation from God, that God will hear our cry. He will hear a cry with a loud voice and He will restore us. He will draw us close to Him again. Look with me. We're going to look at the, uh, just the first four verses of chapter 9 today. So follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen as I read it aloud. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabania, Buni, Sherabiah, Bani, and Kanani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you will speak to each of us this morning. Speak a word that we need to hear. God, help us to understand this word. Help us to be obedient to, us, to it. Help us, God, to have the humility to confess our sins, to repent, to turn to you, to experience your grace, your mercy. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage right here, Nehemiah chapter 9, follows right after the, the highs of the, the experience of chapter 8. We looked at that the last couple of weeks. Remember with me, if you would, you could even look back at that previous chapter and just kind of glance at some of the things that are there in chapter 8. And you'll remember that um, Ezra, who was a priest and a scribe, it meant he studied God's law and he, he helped to teach it to the people. Um, he led the, the entire assembly of the people, all of, all of the Jews around Jerusalem and in Judah had gathered together for this uh, special a uh, holy day, uh, a holiday, if you will, for the people of Israel on the first day of the seventh month. 
Um, that would have been somewhere in the in near the end of September for our calendars. They gathered together. They heard Ezra speak from the law. And when they heard it, they heard the explanation of the law of God, the, the scriptures, the word of God that was recorded for them, what we have as the Old Testament. And they're listening to it, and they're understanding it. And, and they, uh, at first they, they, they began to weep and mourn. They sensed a, a broken spirit in them. They, they, they sensed a, that all was not well with them. But, but this was a, ho a holiday. It was a special day. It was supposed to be a day of rejoicing. And so, remember Ezra and Nehemiah there with him and the other Levites, the leaders of the people said, don't weep, don't mourn, celebrate. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go out and, and celebrate this day. Eat good food. Drink good drinks. Share what you have with other people who don't have what you have. And, and make it a great day. Then the next day, we looked at this last week, the, the very next day, the leaders of the people said, this was really awesome. We love this. This was great. We, we, we felt the Spirit move. We heard the Word of God. We want to study it in more in depth. We want to do this intense study. And so they began studying with Ezra, and they, they studied God's Word, and they kept reading, and they realized that, hey, in God's law, in, in the Old Testament, in oh, Leviticus, uh, the command was that in the seventh month, we, we set up these booths, these kind of lean-tos, and then we put these branches on top of them, and, and we live in them for seven days, and we have a big, long feast. And, and our people haven't done that for generations. We need to do that. We need to be obedient. And so they did. And they rejoiced in that. And, and it said that they had a solemn assembly on the eighth day, according to the rule. And day by day, from the first day to the last, they read from the law of God. They continued to read the scriptures for seven days straight. What a, what a worship service, right? We, we looked at that last week. What, what would that be like? If we all, sometime this fall, maybe in October, we just had a seven-day camp out, and we hung out together, and we rejoiced greatly together, and we just read the Bible day, all day long, for seven days. Some of you are like, you're crazy. But man, what would happen if God's people were that eager to worship together, that eager to be in the Word together? Well... Here we are now in chapter 9. So, be, so instead of re-preaching the old sermons, let's keep going. Because now in chapter 9, on the 24th day of the month, now, give you, let me give you the timeline. On the 22nd day of the month was their solemn assembly. It was the quote-unquote eighth day of this feast of booths, feast of tabernacles that we looked at last week. And they had that solemn assembly. They, they offered sacrifices. They heard from the Word of God. Now, there was one day missing here that they, that's not mentioned. But the following day, so two days later, they assemble again. But this time, look what they're doing. They're not feasting. They're not rejoicing. They're not eating good food and drinking good drink. They're not sharing their, their 
what they have with other people and saying, let's rejoice. This is a time to proclaim God's word and to celebrate and to, to make a joyful noise. Look at what they're doing. They assembled, it says in verse 1, with fasting. Hmm. They weren't eating food anymore. In sackcloth. They took off their normal garments and they put on the rough, well, the, the rough material that they would normally uh, make, make sacks of you know, for their grain and for the things like that in. And they said, let's, let's put on this old, ragged, rough clothing. And, and it says that they had earth on their heads. They, they picked up the dust from the ground. They picked up the dirt from the ground. They poured it on their heads. What were they doing? They had celebrated all of this. They had celebrated the Feast of Booths. They had been reminded of God's generosity to His people. What He had done for the nation of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. They had rejoiced greatly. And suddenly, they're fasting? And on the 24th day of the seventh month, which didn't mean anything. <laughs> it wasn't a special day. It wasn't a holy day. It wasn't in the Jewish calendar. It wasn't commanded by God. What were they doing here? What was going on to cause them to act like this. Well, in case you didn't know, fasting and, and sackcloth and, and, and earth or dirt or, or even uh, sometimes it's referred to in other parts of the Bible as ashes. Taking the ashes from a fire. The, the city soft ashes pouring it over the head. Well, these were a sign of mourning. When a people did this, or an individual did this, it, it meant they were going through troubled times. You guys have all come in this morning. I don't see anyone wearing sackcloth. I don't see anyone with ashes on their heads. I don't, you may be fasting. I don't know. I'm, you know. It's hard to tell, right? But from all appearances, we're, it's a normal day. But in their time... <laughs> When something was going on in their lives, they expressed it outwardly by the way they dressed, by the things that they did. And everybody knew when somebody was going through mourning, when somebody had, was experiencing loss, when somebody had been confronted with their own brokenness and their own sin. Remember what happened on the first day of the month back in chapter 8? <laughs> Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites in, in chapter 8 verse 9 said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then, remember they said, no, this isn't the day for that. This isn't the day for weeping and mourning. And I bet you that what was going on in the minds of the people were, 
They were thinking, well, when? When is it time to mourn? When is it time to weep? We're told to rejoice, and indeed we will, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we will celebrate this festival with great rejoicing, because God indeed has been good to us. But we have read the law. We cannot turn back from it. God has shown us His face in the law, and He has shown us our sin in the law. And we cannot turn back. Nothing will ever be the same now that we know our sin. So they said, there's no time like the present to have a good fast, to mourn, to weep, to confess, to cry out with a loud voice to God. And that's what they're doing. This is a delayed this is a delayed experience of, of mourning and weeping and confession. Think about this. They spent half of the day, six hours, listening to Ezra read the Word of God to them. The next day, and probably this continued for several days, all of the leaders of the people... The heads of the fathers' houses, the priests and the Levites, they studied intensely God's law. And they continued to share it. And they shared it with their families because that's what they were commanded to do in God's law. Now that you know this word, you share it with your family. You let your children know. You let your household servants know. This is the word of the Lord. And then when they were... <laughs> And then when they were at the, the Feast of Booths, for seven days straight, they read from it. On every page of God's Word, we will be, in, we will be confronted with our sin. If you read God's Word and come away uh, from it every day, every time, with a new inspiring thought or, or something uh, to kind of, uh, something to get me through the day, a promise to believe in. But you don't, uh, don't see your sin reflected back at you. You're not reading it as God's people read it. Indeed. Just this week, <laughs> Go back to last week too. I told you last week that I'd been been using the the seven arrows questions to ask questions of God's word as I'm reading it, and I've been reading through Numbers, which is not an easy uh, book to read. Um, it is so far removed from our own experience today. All of this talk about sacrifices and holy days and and people and, and people groups and names that we don't have any association with. What does it, all this mean? But as I have read, I have been confronted by my own sin. I've been confronted by my own selfishness. I've been confronted by the fact that I want my way and not God's way. 
Remember the story of Balaam's donkey? <laughs> Balaam was a, a prophet of, of sorts. He was really, a, he made his money um, cursing other people. So a king could say, hey, send for Balaam. We're going to, we want to pay him to curse our enemies so that we can defeat them in battle. And that was kind of the thing that Balaam did. And I read that in Numbers chapter 22, and the story goes that Balaam seems to have good intentions here. He says, hey, I can only tell you what the Lord tells me. That's it. I can't curse anyone that the Lord doesn't want to curse. Well, so he goes along with it, and he's going to go do, and he's going to listen to the Lord. But along the way, there's something going on in his heart. Something in his heart that the Lord didn't appreciate, they didn't like. So he sent an angel to bar Balaam's path. Balaam's riding on his donkey, going down the road, going down the lane, and there's an angel in his way. And Balaam doesn't see it, but the donkey sees it. And the donkey stops, the donkey turns, the donkey falls down three times, and each time Balaam got so upset, he started beating the donkey, hitting it, whipping it, get up. Well, it says the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey spoke and said, What have I done to you, y'all, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam doesn't go, What? My donkey's talking to me. No. He proceeds to have a debate with the, do the donkey. Because you made a fool of me. I ha if I had a sword in my hand, I would strike you down. I'd kill you right now. He's so angry. He's so peeved that he's oblivious to the miracle that is right in front of his eyes. All he wants to do is argue. He is so full of pride and arrogance that he's not willing to see what God is trying to communicate to him. And I read that story, and we even talked about it in our discipleship group that week, and I was struck by my own pride and my own arrogance. And the fact that I would rather argue a point rather than be rebuked by God Himself using circumstances and people in my life to help me, to guide me, to set me on a straight path. A path that leads to life, not a path that leads to destruction. When we come to God's Word like the people of Israel, like the Jews did in Nehemiah's time, they came to, God, came to God's Word over and over and over again, and they go, we're sinners. Every time we read God's Word, we're confronted with the magnitude of our sins. And so what do they do in verse 2? It said they separated themselves from the foreigners. I'm not exactly sure how that worked. <laughs> and neither are they experts. They're trying to figure out, well, what do they mean by that? Well, there are people living among them, living around them. In fact, we're going to find out later 
that there are actually there are people that that the Jews were were marrying who were outside of God's people. And we find that they were so linked up with foreigners. That the, the problem with for, the foreigners in the Old Testament is not that they were different. It's not that they came from another country. It's not, that, it's not that God was concerned of having a pure race. It was that the foreigners were committed to their gods. And by marrying them, by... Uh, doing business with them, by living among them, they were going to rub off on them. They were going to begin to, and God saw it coming. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. Because you will begin to worship their gods. You will turn away from me. And so in verse 2, the Israelites separate themselves. And the words for separate here, it, it really is closely akin to, at least a synonym, with the idea of holiness. To be set apart for God's purposes and God's work. And so they separated themselves. Maybe they said, um, hey, I know we usually hang out on the 24th of the seventh month and we go do fun things, but... Today, I can't hang out with you. Or maybe they said, um, Hey, uh, honey, um, my second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth wife, or what, whoever it might be, um, who, uh, you know, you're from another country, you're, you worship different gods, um, I, you're going to have to stay home on this one. I'm going to worship the one true God. You can't come with me. You can't come into the temple. You can't. I, I don't know what was going on exactly. But they separated themselves. They stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They confessed. The word for confess in the Old Testament, it's a word that basically means to acknowledge something as right and true. <laughs> the... Uh, the idea to recognize, to declare something to be true. And what they were declaring to be true, and in all contexts in the Old Testament, it's to declare that my sins are real. It's not a joke. It's not make-believe. It's, it's not, oh, that's just a bad habit. It's not, ah, everybody does it, so why not me? It's to declare, to acknowledge the truth, that the actions, that the thoughts, that the intentions of my heart are wicked, and so have been those of my fathers, my ancestors. They took it upon themselves to say, we have been against you, God. We have rebelled against you. We have missed the mark. And so have our ancestors. So has my father and my mother and my uncle and aunt and my grandparents and their parents and their parents before them. They stood in their place. And then look what they did again. They read from the book of the law. 
of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. A quarter of the day, that would have been about three hours or so. From the beginning of the morning, they would have read from the book of the law again. They said, well, we can't get enough of this. Well, why? They've been broken by the law. They have, they have recognized in, in God's Word that they're sinners. Uh, and they've seen it, and yet they're going back to it. They're going back to God's law. Hmm. More on that in a second. Another quarter of the day, for the next three hours then, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. They made confession and worshipped. Confession. Um, I, I, I imagine that probably what was going on in the, in the people's hearts at this time and what they were thinking about and, and maybe even maybe even some, some that of, the, of the words that they had been reading in, in God's Word. Uh, maybe, maybe they read some of the stories. Maybe in the early days they'd read the law. But, but now they, they were reading the stories. They'd, they're reading the history, the narratives of the Old Testament. They're reading about the conquest of, of Canaan. They're reading about Joshua. They're reading about the heroes in the book of Judges. They're reading about the kings, Saul and King David and Solomon after him. And, and, and maybe they read about King Solomon and how, and how Solomon had built a, a temple for God. And, and at that time, at the building of that temple, uh, when they were dedicating it to God, God spoke to Solomon. And, and, and God said this, I've heard your prayer, Second Chronicles chapter 7, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, hmm. or command the locust to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. So God is saying, when I, when I cause the drought, <laughs> when I cause the insects to eat all of your crops, when I send disease on the people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Maybe they read the story Maybe they read this very passage and they thought, if my people humble themselves, we should do that with fasting and with sackcloth and, and throwing dirt on our heads. We, we, ought, we should pray. We should seek the face of God. We need to repent. We need to turn from our evil. 
ways, our wickedness. And that's what they're doing in this passage in chapter 9 of Nehemiah. Confessing their sins. Worshipping the Lord their God. We talked about this word, Lord, word for worship uh, previously when we looked at what happened in, in chapter 8. When they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Same word, worship, here. They worshipped the Lord their God, meaning they prostrated themselves. They bowed before Him. They confessed their sins and they bowed before Him. I th <laughs> Just a little aside, I think that our, our times of worship would probably be more meaningful if we had the posture of worship. Might be difficult to do in here, but maybe one Sunday you want to try that out. And just wherever you are, get down on your knees and bow your head close to the ground and say, God, you are great. I am not. <laughs> And bow before Him in that posture of worship. Because worship is not about us. And worship is not about other people. Worship is about God. In fact, I was reading in Numbers just this week. I've been telling you, I've been reading through Numbers. And I read in chapter 28 that... God said to Moses to command the people concerning these various offerings that are supposed to be given every day as well as at special times throughout the year. And this is what he says. He says, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma. Hmm. And I meditated on that because I'm asking the question, where is God seen in this story? What is He revealing about Himself in this story? And why would He say, my offering, my food, my pleasing aroma? Because it belongs to Him? Well, in, indeed, that's part of it. Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24? Check me on that. See if I'm right. Psalm 24. It all belongs to Him. That's part of it. But why would He tell us that? Why would He tell His people that in the context of these commands about the offerings? In other words, when they come to worship Him, why would He say that? Because worship is not about us. Worship needs to be focused on God. We need to recognize that what we offer to God, our voices when we sing, our minds when we think, our bodies when we stand, when we sit, when we bow, our, our money when we, when we give it to the Lord for His work, everything is His. Our focus is on Him, not on us. So when we come to gather for worship, we don't concern ourselves with what we look like. We don't concern ourselves with who's watching us. We don't concern ourselves with, should I, you know, do this or should I do that? Or what are other people thinking? Or who, who's going to hear or who's going to see? 
Our attention is on God because it's His. It's His offering. And I think that's what, that's what the people in Nehemiah's time were experiencing. They had no problem spending three hours on the law and three hours confessing their sins and bowing before God. Verse 9 says there were helpers there. There were these seven men of the Levites. And they were, they were, they were there leading the people. And, and it says, And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. It doesn't say what they said exactly. My interpretation of this is that they were crying with a loud voice all morning long. At least during the times of confession and worship. And they were leading the people in worship. They were crying out with a loud voice is another way of, of translating that. They cried out. That word to cry, we see that all over the Old Testament. It means to call for help. It means to summon. It means to some, sometimes even to raise a battle cry every once in a while. To call to one's aid. I need help. I have needs. I can't do this on my own. And that's what they were doing with a loud voice. It's a cry of brokenness. It's a cry of desperation. To the Lord their God, they cried. And will God hear? <laughs> he promised. He promised them he would. In Second Chronicles 7 verse 14, I will hear and I will come and I will heal their land. <laughs> I'm memorizing a psalm, Psalm 34, and man, it is kicking my butt. I got to tell you, it is really hard. It is really hard to memorize this one. But listen to just some of the highlights from Psalm 34. I won't try to do it from memory because I will mess it up. The, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried. Oh, that's the same word. Cried out, called out, summoned for help. Help me, God. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Hmm. Hmm. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Hmm. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Somebody's out there saying, Help me! Deliver me! in the hallway. <laughs> the Lord hears you. <laughs> ah. the many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hmm. What does that say? What does that say to us? The Lord hears. The Lord hears our cry. The Lord hears it. When we, when we confess, 
The Lord hears it when we express our brokenness to Him. And He will hear. And He will come to us. He will restore us. Why? The New Testament says this. That we have a great high priest. We have somebody who has interceded for us. How can we know that God hears us? That God cares about us? He showed His love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us then draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Draw near to Him. Seek Him out. Pursue Him. If we're wondering about what is our true purpose, (laughs) how do we pursue our true purpose? What is that? It's God. Our true purpose is God in Christ. And we're commanded then, we're invited, we're compelled to draw near to God with confidence so that we can find help in our time of need, to find grace in our time of need. What would that look like for us? What would it look like for us? To draw near to God. To pursue God like that. Well, if we just follow the example here of the people, I think we can figure out some of the implications. We ought to get serious about confessing. We ought to be serious about looking into God's Word and seeing there our sins reflected back to us. That we can then confess them to God and, and, and repent and have Him change and transform us. Why did they go back to the law of the Lord their God when up to this point it had showed them so much sin? Because in the law of the Lord they find grace. They find mercy. They find that yes, our predicament is pretty poor. We are sinners before a holy God who is totally just and totally righteous and has... (laughs) And He could punish us to death. But He doesn't. He provides a way. He provides a way of atonement. He provides a way of forgiveness. He provides a way of grace. Hmm. This brings us back to Jesus. He hung on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, Rama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a great cry, with a loud voice, he spoke that. But that wasn't his only cry from the cross. It was his cry, we could call that his cry of brokenness from the cross. That he was bearing our sins on himself and he felt the weight of it all. But the writer of Matthews says this, that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. 
Matthew chapter 27, and yielded up his spirit. What was that last thing he said? And, and how would that be any different than his cry of brokenness? Why have you forsaken me? John in his gospel gives us a clue. John records his very last words. It is finished. It is finished. It is complete. It has been perfected. I am giving up my spirit. I am giving up my life for you. This is it. No more sacrifices. No more uh, atoning for your own sins and your own brokenness. Instead of a cry of brokenness, we might call it a cry of victory. <laughs> it is finished. Yes, Paul wrote, He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All that is good of God, all that is perfect of Jesus, all of it, His righteousness given to us. In fact, we become that through faith in Jesus. Why do we keep going back to the law? Why do we keep going back to God's Word and we see our sin there? We don't just see our sin there. We don't stop there. We see His grace there. We see His grace of forgiveness and His mercy and His peace and contentment. Not only for us, but for our whole city and our world. And for all who are around us. We see that. That's what they were longing for. That's what the people in Nehemiah's time were searching for, were hungering for, were waiting for. God, complete your restoration for us. We want to experience your ultimate purposes. They longed for it, but we've experienced it in Christ. Amen? So the Apostle Paul writes also in Romans, because you may be wondering, as I have, what about my sin and my brokenness? I mean, I'm so jacked up, and there's no getting around it. What do I do about it? Hmm. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It all belongs to Him. He graciously gives all to us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed. All the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, may I also add, not even our sins, our own brokenness, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the answer to our brokenness. That's the answer to our separation from God. We can be with Him. We can draw close to Him. We can be restored to Him through Christ. And that can never be taken away. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. God, may we, may we walk out of here, Father, as worshipers. God, that we see that all that we have belongs to You, is given from You, is, is a gift from You, that our lives belong to You, that, and Father, we would... we would love you the way you are to be loved, that we would serve you the way you are to be served from hearts that are transformed and changed by your good news for us. Father, I pray that we will not allow our sins to separate us any longer. Confession. God, that we admit and we, we, we bring our sins before you and um, that we would say, God, let's be truthful about my life. Let's be truthful about what's in my heart, about what I've done. Be honest before you. Confess that to you, God, and then to receive a new heart, a new life, a new soul, which is what you promised to, to give us, that in Christ, that our sins are removed, are taken away from us when we confess and repent, and that you give us the righteousness of Jesus in its place. You give us a new heart, a new life, new desires, new wants. Father, that is something we need every day. Grant us that according to your mercy, and according to your grace, we ask that. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.